and the kids, kids are dismissed to Bible adventures. Just follow Corbin with the ball back there. He'll, he'll take you, take you where, where you need to go. Uh, we're going to jump back into a series that we were going through like previous to the holiday season through the book of Philippians. Uh, and it's a, a series that I'm, I'm really passionate about. And I hope that uh, you'll kind of recommit to getting back into Philippians with us. Uh, the book is a fascinating book and it's written um, by a Paul who finds himself um, in prison, and he's writing to this group of Christians, probably a house church of people, maybe about 20, 25 people who are trying to figure out how to live the gospel. And it's amazing how much he writes with this perspective of joy, even though his circumstance is incredibly difficult. I, mean, I don't know about you, but if I'm writing from prison, I write a letter that's maybe like, please like, break me out of here, or like, send money, or send help, or anything. But he just writes with this unbelievable perspective of joy. Um, Thirteen times in four chapters, he writes about joy or rejoicing, which really should strike all of us and make us think, how do you live like that? So if you want to turn to Philippians chapter 3, eventually we're going to be there um, this morning. We're not going to get there um, quite yet. But the passage that we're going to look at this morning um, makes me think about an issue which I think is very pertinent in today's um, day and age. If you were to ask a group of Christians from around the United States, a group of questions that are typical for a Christian to believe, like if you were to ask, uh, did Jesus raise from the dead? Did Jesus die for your sins? Is Jesus the Son of God? If you were to ask some questions like that, generally you're going to get a lot of affirmative answers to those questions. And generally, like, the results would probably come back that almost all of those things, you know, people said yes, 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 and there'd be a general agreement among a lot of different people from a lot of different places. But then if you were to ask questions like, well, are you a Republican or a Democrat? Or did you vote for Obama in the previous election? Did you vote for Trump in the election that just happened? Then things start to get really divided really quickly, right? A group of people that just a few seconds ago answered a bunch of questions in the same kind of affirmative yes, 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 yes. You know, generally, all of a sudden, things get really split really quick. And that's one thing that I always try to think about as we read the Bible together is that Paul is writing to a church that is diverse, and he's writing as a prisoner to this church in Philippi. And what he's trying to communicate to them, especially in chapter 3, is your allegiance goes to a higher place. And this is something that Christians have struggled with forever. John Wesley, who is the, start, the guy who started um, the Methodist movement, he like, said to a, a group of Christians, he wrote in a letter, he said, I'd like you to practice these three things. That if you are part of an electoral process, you should do these three things. Number one, vote for the person that you judge most worthy. Number two, speak no evil of the person that you vote against. And number three, take care that your spirits are not sharpened against those who voted on the other side. And what if we could just do that, right, when it came to politics? What if we could just chill out a little bit and, and say, you know, there's some things maybe that I do need to speak out against every once in a while, but not every day? And I don't need to be so caught up and concerned in every little movement or everything that happens, I mean, I think we think that today's political climate is the worst it's ever been, and maybe that's true, but John Wesley wrote these things. He died in 1791, so he wrote this a long time ago, way before Obamacare or way before Make America Great Again. He wrote this and said, basically, Christians, be careful because you can lose your heads caring about this stuff just a little bit too much. 
And we think that it's the worst that it's ever been, perhaps, but it's always been difficult. And aren't you tired of dividing over secondary things? Both in the church, but then politically outside the church, aren't you tired of people giving up on each other because of things that you want to say, is that really that important? Paul planted a church in a world that was very much like ours. Philippi was in an area of northern Greece, and a Roman battle had happened there. Ultimately, Rome achieved victory. And so what ended up happening is the area in Philippi became a Roman colony. And that was an absolutely huge deal. To be a Roman citizen was, was very, very important. You could liken it to being an American citizen today. It's something that we like, take, take a sense of pride in. It's something that opens a lot of doors. If you have an American passport, it would open some doors for you that you put, couldn't maybe open um, in other ways. It's not as easy. And so if you were a Roman citizen, you're like part of a very powerful empire. There were certain things that you got to do. If you were a Roman citizen, you had the right to vote, and you couldn't be put to death by crucifixion. It's very important that you are a citizen of Rome. And Paul is saying to a group of people that would have thought of their citizenship as very important, he's saying, but you are part of a bigger story than that. Yes, it's awesome and there's some privilege that comes with where you were born, what, what you're brought up as, but you're part of a much bigger story. And that begins toward the beginning of chapter 3, which is a passage that we looked at together. But I want to remind us of this before we get to our passage that we're studying more in depth today. So Philippians 3, verses 4 through 8, Paul says this, Though I have reason for such confidence, if anyone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. This is a great, like, hashtag humble brag moment for Paul. Because he's like, you know, I could brag about this stuff, but I won't, but actually I will. Like, I'm going to go ahead and and dive into this. And he basically says, like, all the stuff that, like, we would have considered important and significant as religious people during that time, like, he's done it all. He kept the law flawlessly. He was not just, like, a pretty good guy. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He lived this out to an unbelievable place. And he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He has all of these cards religiously that he could say, you know, I could live my life focused on these things. Think about the thing, perhaps, that you are most proud of. If you were to, like, write a letter about your life and just explain to somebody what's important, think about what it is that you would say, this is the most important thing. And then he says, but all that stuff that, honestly, you probably aren't even in the audience as as good as me at, and I'm not saying that as me myself, I mean, Paul is saying that, all that stuff that you think of as, like, pretty significant and important, I consider it all garbage. That's how the New International Version translates that. It's likely in the New International Version, that it's like probably in any Bible that you have, it probably says garbage. But in reality, the word that he uses there is a little bit harsher than that, a little cruder. Um, it's a word that is used to describe dung. It's a word that we might translate a little more colorfully. And I don't want to say it because I'd get bleeped out if I said it. 
And trust me, I just did a series on the weight of words, so I understand how important words are. That was kind of building so I could say what this word actually means. But I'm not going to say it, but just have in your head, whatever that is, um, that you would say, whoa, I can't, I, I mean, it would wake you up at church on Sunday that I can't believe, like, Paul wrote a letter with that word in it. Like, that is unbelievable. And then he's saying it about all, like, the really important stuff, the thing that d- defined him and were really significant and important to him. But he's like, because of now knowing Christ, I consider all that BS, basically. A while back, somebody said, I just realized those are your initials. And I was like, yeah, it is. Uh, (laughs) I consider all of it, like, you know, here's all the stuff that I was piling up that I thought was, like, really significant and important, and now it's trash because I now know Christ. And wouldn't this be a great way for us as Christians to, to unite Instead of focusing on the things that keep us apart, instead of thinking about the things that sometimes separate us, if we just said, you know what, our our worth, our identity comes from Christ. And a few verses later, he continues. All of us then who are mature should take a view of of such things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. They, their, destru- their destiny is in their destruction. Their God is in their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven as we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is Paul at possibly his best. He's saying that it's easy for us, and it's still easy for us, to get focused on earthly things, to think about the things that might divide us or what we think as important right now. But he says, don't just think about your current needs. Like, don't just think about your stomach and think about whatever it is that you have going on right now in your earthly body, because ultimately, church, Christian, you are a citizen of heaven. There's a certain sort of identifier that should come before the fact that you call yourself an an American or that you say that you're from Philippi and that you're a citizen of Rome. And again, this is a place that he's writing to that they would have been very, very proud of their citizenship. And he says, yeah, you can be proud of it. That's all right, but don't worship it because you ultimately have a different sort of identity. And that ultimately is what what is important. And that should be the way that we understand our, our citizenship in the world. And if we could just get this right as Christians, how much better could we be in the world? If we could just say, you know, politics as it is right now, it's not necessarily fully what I agree with, but ultimately God is in control. And even if the person who is in charge right now isn't somebody that I would support, I'm going to trust that God is still at work and that God can work through me. Wouldn't you live with a little less anxiety? Wouldn't it be a little bit easier to just say, you know, things aren't necessarily as as I think they should be, but on any level, it's ultimately because humans are in charge. I have people at times, like, complain to me about um, our our church and things that we could be doing better, and I fully agree. I think there are things that we all could collectively um, do better, 
But then it's oftentimes people are t- complaining about their jobs and how difficult their jobs are. And if oh, we could only get rid of this or get rid of that. And then you talk about politics and like that's frustrating too. And we can get like so focused in on that stuff. And it doesn't mean you don't work hard to change it and you're part of these things and try to make these better as, as they are. But ultimately, if you lived your life at the end of the day saying, well, you know what, but God, you're in control. One of the greatest songs there is, is the deepest theology, is God's got the whole world in his hands. And if you could sing that, that's a song we teach to kids, but if you could like live that in your life, wouldn't you live with a little less anxiety? Here's a, a picture of um, the U.S. Embassy in Nairobi, Kenya. And I picked this one specifically because we support some awesome, awesome uh, missionaries uh, in Nairobi, Chris and Crystal. And when you go to an embassy, no matter where it happens to be in the world, you get the opportunity to walk. It's literally like walking on American soil when you are in the embassy. Hopefully you've never had the experience of losing your passport while you've been overseas. I luckily have not had that experience. But when you walk into that place and you are a U.S. citizen, then it is like you are home, even though it's away from home. And it's a time when you get to, like, speak English for a little while, perhaps, and you get to really, like, very, really feel like you are at home away from home. When I studied in uh, Heidelberg, Germany, my sophomore year of college, we started calling McDonald's the American Embassy, because it was nice, and I'm kind of embarrassed sometimes of how often we ate at McDonald's while we were overseas, but it was nice to eat a Big Mac every once in a while and feel the longings of home. Um, don't even really eat those anymore, but back then I ate a little bit uh, more. Church, ultimately, I feel like, should be like entering an embassy somewhere. That we understand that even though things are broken in the world and it's, it's difficult and we spend our lives like trying to bring a sense of heaven more to this place, we then come together and we think about, we dwell on what our true home is. Where our hearts truly long to be. A result of our vision process uh, during the, the fall was to come up with a couple different things, but one of them is the slogan that we came up with together, a home in L.A. And you might see that. Lars did a great job putting it on a sign that's on our corner over there. But I hope, I hope that this would be a home for people in L.A. L.A. is an increasingly lonely place. I think our world is an increasingly lonely place. And I want this to be a place where people could feel like they have a home here, people of different backgrounds, people who have come from different places, people who don't have it all figured out yet, but they come here and they feel like they have a home here. That's one of the blessings of being um, a church that can really do a good job of really pivoting and helping people who come in here for the first time and being very welcoming to them. And we want to be a home in L.A. to remind other people that ultimately... 2019 Los Angeles isn't your home. That you are longing for somewhere else. There's a fascinating letter that's written from a guy named Mathetus to Diagnatius from the second century. And it's, he's commenting on Christian behavior. And he says this about this group of Christians. This is from, okay, from the second century. We're barely into the Jesus movement. Christians are not distinguished from the rest of humanity by country, language, or custom. For nowhere do they live in cities of their own, nor do they speak some unusual dialect, nor do they practice an eccentric way of life. For while they live in both Greek and barbarian cities, as each one's lot was cast, and follow the local customs and dress and food and other aspects of life, at the same time, they just demonstrate the remarkable and admittedly unusual character of their own citizenship. They live in their own countries, 
but only as non-residents. They participate in everything as citizens and endure everything as foreigners. Every foreign country is their fatherland, and every fatherland is foreign. Isn't that a beautiful way to describe what it is to be a Christian? That we could go anywhere in the world and feel like, in a certain sense, we still have a home because of who our God is? That it might be difficult, there might be some stresses that happen, but because of who our God is, we could feel like we're home? What a beautiful way to understand what it is to live out the gospel. I got the chance to visit my sister in Switzerland over the holidays, which was a real blessing, and we had a really good time. But I imagine for a minute that I, I came back just like super excited about Swiss politics. And I was just really passionate and I wanted to do an eight-week sermon series on, like, Swiss politics, like past, present, and future. How long would that sermon series last? You might stop me after a couple weeks, or I, you might not even give me two weeks. You might say, Brian, this may be more appropriate for a class, or maybe just not at all. Maybe you should just keep this to yourself. Like, imagine that I was just, like, super passionate. I was like, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, but it's so cool. And, like, explaining all the elements of it, and, like, when the elections are coming up. And you would say, Brian, like, your passion is a little misplaced. And we, we appreciate you like, for thinking about that and like, considering that, but like, just we're not so worried about that here. Like, I'm glad that there's a political system over there, but we're not so concerned with that. What I think Paul is trying to say to us is that is how we should consider politics in general as Christians. That yes, we work hard, that we think about the political system, that we're thankful for the political system, that we try our best to bring about the kingdom of God through political means. We try that, but sometimes when that doesn't work, we stand back and say, all right, that's okay. God is in control. That we recognize that this place ultimately isn't our home. I think we see today what can be dangerous about Christians aligning themselves with a certain political party. And you're probably aware this week of Donald Trump signing Bibles. And we see the danger of when politics and Christianity get a little bit too much aligned. Because churches ultimately, I believe, are, are called to be good news to the oppressed, good news to the poor, in their city and in their context. But we don't need to worry so much about the politics in our nation or whatever nation you have to live in. Like, you don't have to worry and be so concerned with it. Paul took every step on land that was ruled by Caesar. He paid taxes to Caesar, and he understood just how powerful Rome was. Yet he writes to this group of people, and he says to them, you, though, you are citizens of heaven. You have a different identity. Though, yes, it looks like Rome is in charge and that Rome is all-powerful and that Rome's going to be here forever. Just know that you have citizenship elsewhere. Another way that you can translate that word, a citizen of heaven, is Colony. And we know what it's like in American history to understand what it is to be a colony, that we were started as a colony. Some things happened. I don't want to talk all about that history. 
But we were started as a colony, and a colony ultimately is a representation of some other place. But Paul is saying to this group of people, you are a citizen or a colony of heaven. You are called to represent Jesus Christ in your time and in your place. And just to think creatively how you can best do that. This is one of the concepts that I think has has encouraged us to start on the 14th of April for the first time, the Be the Church Sunday. And what we're going to do on that day is come together and, and have a communion together and then just get sent out into our neighborhoods and if you have a, a local nonprofit or a school that you're connected with, just ask somebody there, how could we be a blessing to them? Some ideas that we've had is to go to the laundromat that's two blocks from here and pay for some people's laundry. What would it look like for us to just love the community around us in very simple ways? And if you're not physically able to get out and do any of that work, that's okay. We're going to have some letters to write and some things to do here. So don't worry about that. Everybody is going to have a role in that. But we want you to creatively think, how could we be a blessing to the city around us? How could we do something, and it doesn't have to be like a world-changing thing, but how could we just show somebody that God's love exists in the world? So how could we literally, on that day, be the church? Because church isn't a place that you go. It's a place that we all are trying to bring about. We're trying to show the love of God to our community in very real ways. So I want you to just be thinking about that and asking yourself, that question, because ultimately you, church, you're a colony, you're a citizen of heaven. Martin Luther King wrote a very powerful letter, which I always encourage people to read. It's called A Letter from a Birmingham Jail, and a lot of what he's, a lot of the audience that he's writing to actually are white pastors, and he's trying to say, hey, come on, like, let's, let's think about joining this cause a little bit. And he said, there was a time where the church was very powerful. In that time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Whenever the early Christians entered a town, the people in power became disturbed and immediately sought to convict the Christians for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But the Christians pressed on. In a conviction, they were a colony of heaven called to obey God rather than man. Small in number, they were big in commitment. They were too intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. And I think it's easy for us, it's a long phrase, astronomically intimidated, but it's easy for us to sometimes be overwhelmed at the needs that are in our city and in our place. But Dr. King asks everyone to just consider how they might lean into understanding the, the, the colony of heaven mentality more in the way that they live. Dr. King even though he's now celebrated. He was on FBI watch lists, and he was taken and and spent time in jail over 100 times. And it wasn't just for stuff like they were being mean to him. At times, I think they were kind of singling him out, but oftentimes, it was because he was breaking the law, because he was encouraging others to do the same. And the way that he ultimately lived, even though at times he was breaking the law, one of the reasons why I think he encouraged people to break the law is because he had this mindset. This isn't a law where I come from. That ultimately, my identity is rooted somewhere else. Because in heaven, there's not second-class citizens. 
And in heaven, there's not sit here and sit there. It ultimately isn't like that, where I'm from. Christians, I think, can so easily get bought into the importance, and again, I think politics are, are important, but ultimately we have a different mindset. And so in America, we argue about health care laws. You know what Christians have done historically? Started hospitals. Even in a place like Los Angeles that is very like progressive, almost every hospital is started by some church. You know, they have the name of some church. We argue about important issues like abortion. You know what the earliest Christians were known for? Adopting babies that were left outside the city to die. We argue about tax rate and personal property. Christians just had a different view of their stuff. There's a lady named Norma McCorby. Here's a picture of her. And you likely don't know that name, but you probably know her by the alias that she was given, Jane Rowe in the Roe versus Wade case. And in that case, which was very contentious and still is important today, that was about abortion, that was about states' rights, ultimately, at the end of that case, as the dust settles, she had been kind of put forward by the the pro-choice movement. And ultimately, after the case was over, that group kind of just abandoned her and said, well, go, go get back to your life. And it was the pro-life movement that ended up kind of adopting her. And eventually, in 1995, she was baptized by a person on the pro-life side of the equation, someone who actually had argued against her in the Supreme Court. She became a born-again Christian and actually ended up, she died a few years ago, but she ended up um, fighting for the pro-life side eventually. And I know that that's a, a contentious issue, so I'm not saying that has to be that we think about that. But what I find interesting about that story is that her heart was changed, not by picketers or people yelling at her, but eventually after the dust settled from the trial, someone just loving her, getting to know her story. I think today we do a great job seeing people as issues more than as people. One of the great blessings that I think we have as as a church is we have the opportunity to get to know each other's stories. To understand that we all come from different backgrounds and that we can't get people to think like we do just by yelling at them louder or coming up with a more creative sign, but by truly, truly entering into life together and understanding that we collectively, even in our imperfection and our brokenness, we're a colony of heaven. And the laws that sometimes exist in our time and our place, they're not the laws where we ultimately are citizens of. So we, as a collective unit, try to make here a little bit more like there. Again, Paul is writing to 
people who very much like us. The argument generally is, is the United States the most powerful empire ever or is the Roman Empire the most powerful? It's kind of in debate. So Paul is writing to a group of people that had citizenship in Rome. They were in Philippi, but they had Roman citizenship. And he's saying to them, yes, 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 you're, you're, you're valuable and you're important and those things do matter. But not as much as your ultimate identity. Because you, church, you are a citizen of heaven. And you strive every single moment to bring there to here. And so we don't think of people as issues. We think of them as people. We get to know their stories, and we invite them to be part of this bigger story that we all are participating in. What would it look like if we could live as a colony of heaven? If we could truly be a home in L.A.? To be a place where we recognize that the love of God is ultimately what allows us to experience God's grace. And we just ask questions, what would it look like for us to love our city and our place as God does? Because we are citizens of a different place. And ultimately our identity is rooted more deeply, just as Paul says, I have all of this stuff that I could go to for my identity, but I consider it all loss because of who I know. Let's pray together. Father, this is, this is a tough concept to think through. And may we consider how we might be better citizens of heaven in our time and in our place. May we ask hard questions about what it looks like for us to love, hard to love people at times. May we choose love instead of fear. May we choose to seek diversity in our relationships and diversity in the ways that we live. Father, we pray that you would lead us as we ultimately try to be citizens of heaven. Help us to truly see where you are calling us to to leave the norm and to love our city and the people around us. Father, help us truly to be the church in L.A. in 2019. Your son, Jesus, name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.